Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Good day. My name is David Ray. I'm the president and CEO of Dundee Precious Metals. Uh, Dundee Precious Metals has um, European and African time zone assets with two mines in Bulgaria, producing 280,000 ounces of gold a year at between $660 and $740 uh, per ounce. Uh, we uh, recently commissioned a new mine in 2019, and that's increased our gold production and our free cash flow to the point that's allowed us to eliminate our debt, produce $211 million of free cash flow last year, and we're on a rate to do a similar amount in, in this year. Um, our basic focus at the moment is to repopulate our um, chain of uh, projects where we are trying to uh, basically sustain a uh, NAVPASHER accretive growth profile, but it's more about the NAVPASHER as opposed to just uh, growth. Uh, so Dundee Precious Metals, um, consistent um, gold producer, well understood uh, within the industry to be innovative and um, particularly good at uh, operational delivery. David, lovely to meet you. Thanks for coming on the show. Um, I was keen to talk to you guys because you had, you'd, you had quite the rise in 2019 and continued that in 2020, as did a lot of other people. But the last 12 months have been a little bit tricky. And when you reach a certain size, you have a different set of problems compared to the exploration and discovery um, phase of, of your story. So um, some of the numbers you mentioned are quite you know, impressive, turning you know, 11 million bucks worth of free cash flow and you know, sitting on that cash of over 260 million today but what do you do with that because you've got to you've got to consistently sustain production you've got to do it economically and you've got to give investors you use the word there a, a growth story something to latch onto because they only make money when the shares go up in value and they cash them in so what are the challenges for a 1.5 billion dollar company as you said so if I give you some historical context and the move and the then challenges and opportunities that we have as an industry from this type of position. Um, two years ago, we were busy completing the construction of a new project, the first new project built in the Balkans for over 40 years. Um, and this um, high grade open pit asset, uh, we brought in on time and under budget and it's performed at or above uh, expectations since that time. That was really the trigger for going from a debt position for purposes of the construction of that asset and maintaining our balance sheet to generating the free cash flow with its performance together with our existing asset to the point where now we've removed that from our pipeline of assets that we're looking to support continuity of production and provide the potential for accretive growth. So where we are then is that we need to look at how do we populate that pipeline and how do we create this value going forward? So the first thing that we've got to do is look at We've got good existing assets. How do we actually improve the continuity of those over time? Where good performance then allows you to, set, uh, to reduce a base um, of uh, production and therefore the cash flow that goes with that. And that then creates the opportunity to look at other things. So we've done that and that led to uh, the identification of an asset which we believed was significantly undervalued. Uh, so this based in Ecuador was held by IMB Metals, and we acquired this and completed that transaction on the 26th of July. And that brought in the core asset, which is Loma Larga, which has the potential by 2025 to produce 200,000 ounces per year um, of gold at around that same $600 to $700 per ounce all in sustaining cost. 
Um, so we continue to look at what we can do going forward. But to your point then about how do you make sure you don't do what others have historically and get too carried away with the growth profile and forget about the value. So what we've done as an organization is uh, we've managed to maintain capacity in the organization to give us flexibility. So our future could be uh, through our exploration, you could increase the amount of reserves and resources and therefore life or increase production from your existing assets, in which case you want to be more operationally focused. You could increase the number of operating assets, in which case you want to be more operationally focused. So in this particular case, my appointment from chief operating officer to CEO, I did not backfill that position because we've got a lot of depth with our MDs um, in Europe and Africa. So no need really to, to expand on that. And at the same time, when we delivered that last project, we did not replace the SVP of projects. So now what we have in the organization is uh, basically a, a control on our costs and the ability for us to flex the organization. So if the pipeline turns more to delivering near-term projects, then we can bring in a strong project focus. If it becomes more operational, then we can bring in a chief operating officer. So what we've tried to do as an organization is to maintain core strength and then flex the additional horsepower to suit where we're going. So that allows us to bring down the cost and maintain the focus of the organization. Um, also, there's an innovation component to what we do, um, as well as what we refer to as our operating model. And in combination, these two things allow us to improve safety performance, drive down our operating costs, make sure that we deliver according to our commitments and um, are able to offset things like inflationary pressures, you know, or efficiency reductions with the ore body changes over time, these types of things. So the idea would be that while we're talking about a growth story, it's not about growth for us. It's about opportunistic growth or alternatively generating more value from our existing assets. So we're just at the sort of mid-tier window, just on the bottom of that mid-tier window. So a little growth would certainly help our story, but it's not essential to what we're doing. Right. Okay. So, so, so let's, let's break that down. You, you've currently got about 280,000 uh, your pr production, okay? And it's around 700, the ASIC's around 700 bucks within, mm -hmm. within a range uh, thereof. And you've just talked about with, um, uh, with Loma Larga and potentially another 200,000 answers a year. So in terms of building on, the story in terms of the growth story that seems to tick the boxes, but I, I'm hearing what you say that it's, it's and there's potential for maybe organic organic component, and there's a couple of Tim up for instance may add more. So growth for growth's sake isn't is not your driver here. It's about doing doing things for shareholders, showing value creation, and I know you I know you dish out a small um, dividend here, but again I come back to the question of. Companies of a certain size, it gets harder and harder to, I guess, f fulfill the shareholders' needs, which is I'm either going to get paid out a large dividend because you are throwing off so much cash, or I can see the shares creeping up in value. It doesn't need to be stellar 10 times. It needs to be just steady a creative growth where I can actually trade in because there's enough, there's enough trading and, and, and enough volatility here that I, that I can trade in and out of this thing and make Money. So you, you, you're getting those those balances right for you know we're focused on family offices and, and, and retail. Are you going to be able to do that for 2022? I mean, what is the what is the what is the real challenge for you for on the retail side? Because I imagine institutionally you're pretty well covered for retail and family offices. What do you see the challenge as being? So. It's very interesting. Thanks for providing that uh, that context. So in 2022, we're largely going to be progressing the development projects that we have. So I mentioned um, 
uh, we've got um, Lama Larga. But we also have another asset called Timok. Now, this was the only project in the pipeline at the time where we completed the build of um, Adatepa. So in terms of, you know, what can create this sort of short-term movement while we're busy developing these projects, um, to that I would suggest to you that as part of our reinvestment, so if you have a look at our capital allocation framework, we have a combination of margin improvement activity, we have a combination of broad resource development, we have brownfields projects and this type of thing, which all go to support the underlying performance, you know, four to five years from now and, and beyond that. The question is what's happening in the short term. So we've increased the activity around our exploration. We believe we have some opportunities that can create some short-term differentiation. Uh, so some interest in the, in the shares, plus also provide a longer production base or the same timeline at, at uh, increased um, output going forward. So, <clears throat> and I would say that <clears throat> the sort of way in which we've, we've built the support to be able to flex the organization, to be able to take opportunities of increased life, increased performance of our assets, new assets, development of those assets, you know, bringing in alternative um, ore sources. That means that I, I think we have a little bit of a different uh, potential going forward than just simply, uh, you know, a, a growth portfolio where you're buying into that growth or simply, you know, we're going to harvest what we have. We're obviously we've got a very, very, very good cash flows, but clearly that's not very exciting. Can you, can you say, dig down in terms of that differentiation for me again? Because it's like, you know, mining's really simple. It's like in, in many ways, it's there's the ore body. Can I extract it economically? Clearly you can. You're building up a cash reserve there. Either you give that to the shareholders, you say, do you know what? For every buck we've got in here, I think I can, I can make that three bucks, right? But you've got to show them how. So can you just tell me how you go about doing that? Yeah, sure. So let's just talk about this return of cash to, uh, to shareholders. So I've talked about the reinvestment in the business and obviously making sure we get a strong balance sheet. The other side is that we did uh, commence a dividend. And the reason talking about this now is it sort of fit with how does that change with the things that we're doing. So we commenced today two cents per share dividend at the start of last year. And we increased that 50% at the end of last year to three cents or a 2% yield. And we review that annually. Now, what we do when we assess that is we look at what's the future outlook and where are the cash flows anticipated with our projects and the needs to reinvest in the business. And then we took a conservative view and we even stress test down to $1,250 gold because we want to make sure that where we start is something on which we can continue and build as opposed to have to start stop on the dividend, something that we consider to be not a starter, basically. So at this point, we would anticipate that our performance has exceeded our internal expectations. So therefore, you know, the next time we come back to review the dividend, I would expect that to be favorable in terms of looking at the return. The other thing that we've just done, which gives you an indication of where we feel in terms of confidence about our companies, we just started using our NCIB uh, to repurchase shares. So we published at the end of August that we've got something a little under a million shares acquired. And that sort of activity continues uh, depending on the on the share price. So, so we believe that's a good investment given the return we anticipate on that. But basically it comes back to we're looking at what is the profile of spend going forward and how can we um, have some participation with the shareholder. So it's not like the last boom in metals where basically the companies held on to everything. They got attracted into um, acquisitions and growth, which was not accretive and ultimately destroyed value for the shareholder. Our intent is to try and make sure that we're engaged with all our stakeholders, including our shareholders, of course, to make sure that you know we are returning what value we can, as opposed to sitting on large quantities of money. Now, 
If you look at the two projects, and sorry, I know you're trying to jump in here, but if you have a look at um, Loma Larga, we're looking there at $316 million of that spent to bring that to fruition over the next four years, and a little over $200 million uh, for TMOC. And then, of course, we've got the usual reinvestment. So we do have um, a number of activities in which to invest to progress, uh, you know, the continuity of our business and grow a pretty and I'll stop. <laughs> Look, I, within CIBs, you know, they, they, they kind of, um, I, I don't particularly like them because I, I, I'd rather you said to me, I'm going to go and get myself another uh, Loma Larga, right? Because there's some, I can see some real value there. It, but I imagine your PR team, thank you, because it's a nice, it's a nice little headline. We're buying shares back. And it's, and I say that because it's, it, it feels like a very sort of synthetic solution to, and a short term problem because the, you know, it's not usually comes straight off again. So, and that, that, but it's, I appreciate you, that you do do it. Um, returning cash to shareholders, dividends of you know less than two percent. It's kind of like, well, maybe I should go and invest in a mine, a, 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 you know, Met Coal business because they're chucking off you know low, high single digit, low double digit type um, uh, you know quarterly dividends. For you guys, the growth story at a million hub, I, I said at the beginning, when you get to a certain level, it becomes tough. You get a different set of problems, different set of challenges, and they're good problems because you've got cash. It's really nice problems, but nevertheless, problems nevertheless. Is, you know, what's the end game for you as a business? Do you think that you just sort of, you just sort of chug along at this level as long as you're efficient? Which you seem to be in terms of the the, the numbers. Um, maybe someone comes and takes you out. Or do you have ambition? Do you have ambition to be one of the the, the big boys? You're knocking on the door of the, of mid tier, but you've got a ways to go to kind of catch up with, with, with some of them. So either you're a target, or you become an acquirer. So what, what's the ambition? Yeah. So we've got we've internally got more upside then we believe would logically lead for us to be looking for somebody to take us out. We don't know that we get the recognition for what we can perceive that we've got within the existing assets. So we're at the bottom of that mid-tier space. I see in the near term, we're going to be looking to move more solidly into it uh, and take advantage of the opportunities we have with the current organic growth assets as well in, in our existing uh, operating assets. Um, I wouldn't say we have a particular ambition to be uh, you know, a major. I think we're, we can do very well in this, uh, particularly for the near term. Um, in this zone where what we're doing is we're looking to continue to be first quartile in terms of costs and continue to uh, have this sort of base of performance. So uh, you ask what can differentiate you, you're sort of stuck in this position, what can help? So let me give you a few examples. So in Bulgaria, we have um, a lot of expertise, a mine that's been operating since the 1950s. We took over in 2003. You know, we've quadrupled the uh, production, we've halved the operating costs. And we have a base of really excellent operational performance there, uh, as you can see with both of our assets. But we also have the capability to support our overseas activities. So for instance, Loma Larga, one of the things that's important for stakeholders is for us to be able to recognize their concerns, one of which is how do you get employment? So for us to maximize the employment, you have to do something which allows you to get a level of performance with new people brought in and trained. One of the things we can do with something that we call our smart center at Chalapech, is we can provide effectively assured service, which does all of the planning, all of the scheduling, monitoring of execution. So therefore, with people who are new with a level of training, with some support, they can actually perform at a level beyond what you might reasonably expect. And it just increases the sort of pull from the communities with which we engage uh, for other assets in country. And we believe, for instance, in Ecuador, it's an interesting place to be at the moment with lots of upside potential. 
So the bottom line, this would allow us to actually come in at a level at or below our peers in terms of what it's going to cost us to do what we do and the return that we're going to get. So therefore, we can pay the same and still have accretive uh, you know, value uh, generation. It's, when I was looking at your portfolio, it looks quite interesting. You know, the whole Bulgarian focus with um, Celepec and uh, Aratepe and then, you know, uh, with Timok in Serbia, it seemed like you were kind of becoming known in that part of the world and using your, your contacts in that part of the world. That gave you some sort of uniqueness. But obviously with, with you know, recent uh, acquisitions with regards to Loma Largo and I guess you're also down in, down in Namibia with Sumab, uh, Sumab. It, well, you also got a few investments, I noticed, um, Sabina and Velocity. So you, yeah. what, you, what picture are you trying to paint with the, the structure of that portfolio? Because you, you could have said, we'll, we'll be the Eastern European uh, specialist, but you, you, you decided to go bigger than that. What was the decision-making there? I mean, so Bulgaria has been a great place for us to operate, but it has um, a regime which is quite slow to allow the progression of projects. So... There are some risks associated with that, primarily around, you know, can you actually develop new projects in time to replace the ones that you have? And it's also politically a little sort of risky just to be in one jurisdiction. We know how things like that can change. So, yes, we have a, a good, strong position in the, in the Balkans. So our two mines are four hours apart. And if you look at our Serbian project activity, that's four hours from Chalapet. So we've got some things within relatively close proximity. So stepping out to something like Ecuador, the reason that we do that is the asset in and of itself justifies that investment. But that then becomes then the center of more activity. So we feel that that's, um, it's a risk reduction just by virtue of the fact you're in a different jurisdiction uh, politically uh, by doing that. And it's a great asset in an environment which is you know, turning more and more pro-mining in terms of Ecuador. You mentioned the, um, the other assets. So if, for instance, we look at something like Velocity, um, the reason for our just under 9% investment in velocity is as a strategic option at, because it's 40 kilometers away from the new mine we've just built at Atepe, which is a short-life, high-grade mine. And it's optionality potentially for the extension of that mine along with the other exploration activities that we're doing. So the investment in Sabina, we've been in the uh, – in fact, we used to own Sabina outright, and we've retained that position um, – so it's a very interesting asset with lots of upside. Is it core and central to our business going forward? Uh, no. So I would say more likely the Balkans, Namibia, and if you look at where we are in Ecuador or the Americas. Okay, tell me, tell me a little bit about Ecuador. We we know well. We we we've been following Ecuadorian stories. We think there's a lot of good good things happening there. Um, your relationship and it's relatively new in the portfolio, but in terms of what, what impressed you enough to say, you know, we'll, we'll push the button here. Obviously, it's bestowed with mineralization, but in terms of your thoughts on the ability to do business there, what, 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 what drove you to do that? Yeah. So obviously, it's a fairly dynamic area politically. And um, the new president who's been in a position now for just a little over three months has clearly you know, said you know, mining is going to be very important in terms of the foreign direct investment and generating jobs and revenue for the country and so on. And he specifically named our project, by the way, as the top of the three that he just sort of listed. These are going to be built during my tenure as president. So that's nice. So we got lots of support there. But it is something that can be fairly volatile politically. So we obviously have to recognize that. We think this is a good project. We think the way it is envisaged is the right way to do it. And we think there's a great deal of opportunity in terms of the way that this is being developed with upside on exploration and upside in terms of the way it's, it's intended to be brought into operation. 
The key thing is not, not politically from a federal point of view, though. This is more about the, the stakeholders in the communities. So, you know, we've, we've had just come in through um, our Adetepe build. That also took a lot of work with the communities in order to get them to the point where they were trusting us with what we said we would do with the project. And now having brought that in, we've got some very, very strong supporters in the communities. Having just been through that, we believe there's something we can bring for um, Loma Larga because the community element will be the final element of getting this over the line. So, you know, politically, we believe right now it's a good place to be in Southern Africa. It's a country that has lots of upside opportunity and we can believe, we believe we can bring some of what we've learned um, to bear in terms of bringing the communities on site. And if you can do that in an, in an area which has been somewhat reluctant to uh, allow mining investment historically, that then creates something that you can show to other communities when you want to invest and you want to build. And we found uh, from our work in the Balkans, that's been very good for promoting uh, new business because people can go and see things and there's much less involved in that step to trust when they can see how you uh, deliver on your commitments. Okay. Yeah, okay. We, we've been um, talking to a chap called Freddie Salazar. He's a reasonably well-known in the in country. He's uh, a Newmont's general manager at one point. Um, so I think great place. So that was, I was intrigued by by that acquisition. Um, with regards to – so just if I may come back to the, the cash pile that you're building up because the free cash flow at the moment is – is is meaningful um, at, the, at your, your the, the current numbers that you're you're indicating? Um, I know we we talk about the, what the potentiality of an option optionality available to you is, but what do you think the likelihood of increasing your dividend is going to be? Well, I think you know continued performance at this level. Um, I would say it's very likely that we were going to be doing that. Um, obviously, it's dependent on what's happening with a number of different things. So, uh, you know, input costs and what's happening with metal prices. Uh, you were indicating that metal prices have been a little challenge, but actually it's $1,750 to $1,800. That's far away from the $1,250 that we were at, you know, let's say over the last eight years or the $400 that we were before that. So actually right now and with the outlook for gold, we think this is a great place to be. So um, uh, that's not really too much of an issue for us. Now we've got, you know, probably heading for $550 million of spend over the next five years between those two projects to bring them to fruition. And then we've got, you know, an internal use in that five years of about $250 million. So we're starting with 250, it's going to consume that and our generation at $200 million a year, you can sort of gauge what the excess is going to be. Um, you started off the previous question about talking about the NCIB. It's the first time that we've used that and it's certainly not the place where we believe our money is best spent. But when the share price is low enough, it's just part of our options that we triggered in this instance. So certainly we would focus on the dividend more than the NCIB or any excess generation of cash. Right. Uh, when you're making good margin, um, I think you'll find CEOs do say that this is a perfectly reasonable price. When you're at the other end of, of the cost curve, you're, you've got most CEOs uh, needing it to be 2000, uh, 2000 and above. They, they have a slightly different view from you. So I, I can see why you're comfortable. Um, Talk about ESG for me, if you don't mind, because it's a it's it's a big big topic at the moment. It's the theme of the moment, and I'm and I'm always intrigued as to how you know big companies come at it, how much money they throw at it. What's the what's their actual belief in it, and how much pressure is coming from your investor fund managers, and how much of it's coming internally? Okay, yeah, great question. Obviously, something that's more and more topical these days. When we when we look back, so we have an an A. MSCI rating. So very, very happy with that. But we didn't get that because we specifically focused on, on, uh, on ESG. 
And what happened was that as a consequence of our values, you know, with um, things like, you know, consideration of stakeholders and making sure that we have a legacy beyond the operation, you know, making sure that uh, we uh, have a continuous uh, improvement and environmental focus, the two of which then lead you to make some pretty dramatic steps over time. So our current performance on the ESG is because of that, our adherence to, to our values. But now that's an opportunity for us to look much more actively at uh, what we can do with ESG. So that's what we're doing. But if, if you look at the outcome of our activities to date, you know, the, uh, in Bulgaria, we have two communities directly associated with our operations. So in Bulgaria, uh, around Chalapets, that's the highest average salary in Bulgaria. If you have a look at Krumograd, that's the highest population income growth rates. If you have a look at the things around that, 47% reduction in SO2 in Sumed, zero industrial water uh, emission and all of these types of things. But there's sort of more to that. So we're one of the lowest greenhouse gas emission rates among gold producers anywhere with our asset in Chalapex. So there's many things that have happened as a consequence of our being the creating employment, you know, advancing people's um, education and, and part in the workplace. You know, we don't have expats all over our We develop our people from, lo- from uh, our local assets. So as a consequence of that, we see this um, sort of education component. We see this uh, development of the communities component. But beyond that, we invest and we support the development of new business, not necessarily directly supporting the mine, but things that are going to outperform and survive the mine. So... Back to your point, ESG. Uh, BlackRock is now our biggest shareholder of having come in in the last year. You know, these conversations with BlackRock and others are very important. And what they've done is looked at what our intents are. So what we've done is we've focused on something that we call the six capitals to allow us to identify the different ways in which investment can actually make a difference to stakeholders and then start to look at exactly what we're going to do. And the reason why we largely did it is it allows us to have a scorecard of how we are doing over time, because it can be a pretty nebulous um, sort of overall objective and difficult, you know, this sort of sentiment to whether you feel you're doing the right thing or not, it's, it's a little difficult to be objective. So from a, a good base of performance, and there's many things that I could talk about in terms of, you know, where we are. What we're now doing is we're looking more objectively about the specific points that we can make a difference and then looking at how we resource and deliver those over time. So. This is a story which is going to develop. So if we were talking six months from now, I'd be able to give you more concrete examples. But to this point, our good performance is rated by Morgan Stanley with their assessment at A. That's because we've been delivering according to our value. So in the short term, that's going to be the sort of continued progression. And then we've got more active and focused activities looking within these six capitals as to how we can perform on ESG. So so how much is driven by the black rocks of this world, not you know, them and others, and how much has been driven locally? Because, you know, you're you're walking to someone's country, extracting mineral rights, making some money from them. So, you know, you're their guest. You could behave a certain way. If it's especially Ecuador, for instance, I guess some of your jurisdictions are a bit lighter touch than others. Um how much feedback's coming from the those local you know social license type um, activities that you're going to have to do and how much being pushed from above. Do you know what I mean? Because sometimes yeah. we are guilty of projecting what we think people will want versus what they actually want. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's a great point. So we, we didn't modify what we were doing for purposes of attracting BlackRock. It just became that what we were doing made sense in terms of that investment. Um, so it's very interesting, actually. So when we were asked about, you know, what is it that we're going to do to bring education in terms of responsible mining, 
to the local population? And this was the question that came up on the day that we announced the transaction and we were talking to it. And my answer to that was, we're not here to educate, we're here to listen. Because the issue with developing these projects historically has, has not been around the, the lack of intent or, you know, sort of quality ideas. It's been about understanding what makes a difference to people. And I think that's one of the things that we've really done well uh, with our communities that, uh, that we're involved with. So that regard that they have is because of the fact that we listen to the ideas that they have and the concerns that they have. And we sort of acting with our development of things over time and what we leave behind as legacy that they can be proud of in as much as we can be proud of. Okay. Okay. Uh, interesting. Um, I guess, like, I, I mean, just as a, as a kind of first pass through the story, I mean, re- really interesting, actually. It's one of those kind of stories which kind of has crept up quietly um, and done quite quite well, um, but sort of maybe slightly gone slightly unnoticed in, 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 a, in a funny kind of a way, in a meaningful way. Um, so I appreciate that. I'd love you to come back on again and tell us, talk us through the kind of expiration organic component because in terms of you know you're, you're giving your cost down I suspect you know Loma Larga is giving you permission to you know do the exploration in a, in a, in a, in a better targeted more responsible uh, way and give yourself a bit of breathing room on that so um, yeah appreciate your time today David thank you very much thanks for the opportunity to talk today um, I'd like to leave you with a couple of thoughts if I can about near-term opportunities in terms of DPM and what we're planning to do, we've been developing this organic growth program and um, you're going to hear uh, about what we're doing in terms of those investment assets, particularly Loma Larga and Timok. In addition to that, we're looking to extend the life of mine of our existing assets and aggressively uh, going after that with, uh, with exploration. And our goal is to continue to develop our performance uh, by working on our operating models, which allow us to consistently deliver against our, uh, our expectations improve our ESG performance, improve our cost performance so that we can maintain that uh, tier one cash cost position. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.